This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. In the studios today at Nebraska Christian Schools, we have youth pastor Lige Reed. Welcome to the program, Lige. Thanks, Gordon. Lige is the youth pastor at the Minden Evangelical Free Church, and this morning had an opportunity to preach to our students here at Nebraska Christian Schools. This morning, Lige, I'd like to start out talking a little bit about an event that you are a part of, as well as Nebraska Christian Schools and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and that's the No Compromise Weekend. And I wonder if you would just sort of update our listeners a little bit about that, because we're hoping a lot of youth groups will be a part of that weekend, which is the weekend of April 6th, which is a Saturday, and then April 7th. And we're actually hosting that here in Central City at Central City Public School and have information at our school website. They can contact Nebraska Christian Schools or go simply to www.nebraskachristian.org. But Lige, you're on our steering committee, and I thought it'd be good to get some insight from you and maybe you could share with our listeners reasons that they might want their youth or youth group to be a part of that weekend. Yeah, the, the No Compromise Weekend is, is a great weekend to bring your students to hear a, a very gospel-centered message that will send them out with a, a sure foundation for living in the world but not being a part of the world. And I think we, you know, the speakers we've brought in, in the past, the speaker we have coming in this year, We'll do a great job of just equipping your students for that work as a believer in the world today. Good. And by the way, the speakers, we have Jack Hughes, who's a pastor from California, excellent conference speaker, will preach God's Word in a way that the kids will get excited about learning and hearing about God's Word. And we also have assistant football coach Ron Brown. Ron has been there each year of No Compromise, and Ron comes out Sunday morning and kind of closes out the conference and challenges the kids on the, kind of that theme of no compromise. Elijah, this morning you talked to our kids about what Jesus has called us to do and, and what his disciples had done and, and other people that had, had approached him about following him in the Bible. I guess, why that message today? Is that something that you've been talking about with your youth group? And how do you see high school students today and why that's so important? You know, this this is something that I've began to approach with, with the high school students in my own youth group, but it's also something that I've just been approaching with my own family. You know, I have, we have five kids, and our oldest is 10, just approaching those years, but professes to be a believer at, at 10 years old, which a lot of, you know, Christian kids do that have grown up in a Christian home. And But there's a level here of, you know, that we see in the Bible that, that Christ does call us to an extreme of following Him and not anything else of the world and being willing to abandon the things of the world, including family, to follow him. And and we're losing that extreme in Western Christianity. We're not teaching that. And I think it goes into, you know, part of the reason why we see so many kids leaving the church when they go away to college, because they just haven't been called up to what God calls them to as a Christian. And, and we need to be teaching that. We need to be strengthening them that way that they will be hitting very hard times. And so it is something that is close to home. It's something I've been thinking about myself with mission trips in mind for myself, for my kids, and also just for my high school students of, of wanting to send them out with a mission to follow Christ, even to an extreme of death if it comes to that, because that is what God called, has called us to do, is to even sacrifice our life for him if it comes to it. With that, let's join Pastor Lige Reed with today's message. 
I'm glad to be here this morning. I, I want to share with you guys something. You know, Gordon had, had asked me Monday to come and speak to you guys today, and, and I thought, man, what am I, what am I going to speak about for these guys, you know, only being here one time? And someone had taught me a long time ago that, that when you go and you speak somewhere to, to speak something that you know, something you're experiencing, going through, you're studying what God is really doing in your life. And so I just wanted to share with you guys, you know, what God's working on me about, because I think it affects all of us in Western Christianity. You know, there's, there's a culture of Western Christianity that is, that is very easy, very light. And, and I think we need to start getting a better view of what it means to really follow Christ. So to do that, we're going to look at two different places. The first place we're going to go is we're going to really grab a hold of the gospel. Before we can do anything, we have to know the gospel. We have to know what it means to follow Christ. And then from there, we're going to jump to another section and just see how that, what Jesus has to say about that. What, what does Jesus have to say about following him? So first, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is my favorite section on the gospel. I think it really lays out some truths here that, that we need to know and need to be reminded of. The book of Ephesians written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to believers. So he's reminding them in chapter 2 who they are, what the gospel is. And so in chapter 2, we're going to see some key elements of the gospel laid out for us. In verses 1 through 3, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Paul here tells us who we were without Christ. Without Christ, we are dead. We're not sick. We're not just a good person, but just without Jesus and we need a little band-aid. No, we're completely dead without Christ. If you're a Christian today, you should be thankful that you are no longer dead, but you were dead at one time. So we can look at people that don't know Christ and we can see that there's a big difference between us and them. There's deadness there spiritually dead, separated from God. It's something we should continually remind ourselves of. And so Paul reminds the Christians here in Ephesus of that fact, that we were dead, that we followed after the world, that we did what the world did. We were conformed to that image, not the image of Christ. But he goes on, verse 4, the most glorious word in the Bible at times, the word but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we go from dead to being alive. But the key to this verse is the fact that it was God that did the work. It wasn't us. It was nothing that I did to save myself. I come from a background of living in Omaha. I grew up in Omaha and going to a high school that's not too much smaller than the town that I live in now, which is a little odd. But I grew up dealing with Stealing, drugs, sex, you name it. I mean, I was following after the world. It was a matter of what do I want? What's going to bring me joy in this moment right now? And at that time, it, it could have been any of those things. It could be stealing a car. It could be going partying. It could be having sex with my girlfriend. You know, whatever it is. That's following after the world. That's who I was. There was nothing in me that had a desire to know God, to follow after God. But God, being rich in mercy, poured out his grace on me. He saved me. I did nothing. I didn't die on the cross. I didn't earn this. 
I, I didn't earn my salvation. It all came from Jesus Christ. It was God that did the work. There's a reason for this. He tells us in verses 8 and 9, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so we didn't earn it, so that no one may boast. I can share my testimony. I've been, I was here two, years, two, three years ago, something like that, and shared my whole testimony, what I did, who I was, what God did in me. I can't boast in any of that. I, I can't boast in, in the way I've changed. I can't boast in how my life is different now because it wasn't my doing. It was God working through me. God made me alive, made me follow after him, called me to himself. But the gospel doesn't end there. You know, we sometimes think that it does. You know, we sometimes think, you know, we just need to tell them, okay, you're dead, you're sinful, you need Jesus, and then you get, you, that's it, you're good, you're saved, you're forgiven. But it doesn't end there. There's so much more to it. We see in, in 6 and 7, Paul says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So not only was I forgiven, was I, was I cleansed of my sin because of what Christ did on the cross, but on top of that, I will be raised with Christ. I will be seated with Christ next to God, redeemed back to the Father, the creator of all things. I get to be with him one day. I get to have a relationship with him now, but one day I'll be seated with him, with Christ. It's redemption. It's reconciliation. I was separated from God and now I'm reconciled back to the Father, the one that created me, the one that saved me, the one that loved me so much that he gave his son, he poured out the wrath on him. I get to be with that God as a Christian because he made me alive, not, a, not because of anything I did. He, he didn't look at my life in eternity past and go, you know that lie, he's going to grow an epic beard, we should save him. No. That has nothing to do with it. The works that I do, nothing. It is all from God. My life, saved by grace, through faith by God, so that I cannot boast that my only boast is in Christ. Then verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's two key truths here in this text. There's two main truths. One, as a Christian, you are now alive. You are no longer dead. You are now living. You are now reconciled back to God. You are now a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ as a Christian. And two, as a Christian, there are works for you to be done. God has prepared something for you to do. There is something all of us must do as Christians. And it's common and yet different at the same time. But before we get into the works that we're supposed to be doing, we first have to really look at the being alive part. Because see, most of the time, preachers get up, I've been guilty of this, we get up, we share the gospel, and we say, come to know Christ, you need him. You're dead, you are lost without God, without Christ. You need him, come to him, be saved, go to heaven. And we make it seem like it's just that easy. But there's a big contrast in that to what Christ taught. That's all true and that's all right, but it's leaving something out. It falls short of what the Bible teaches. So for that, we're going to turn. We're going to turn to what Jesus says. We're going to go first to Luke chapter 9. 
So flip to Luke chapter 9. I've got a lot of verses. I've got about five hours worth of content, so you're going to be out of school all morning. Just kidding. We're going to try to burn through these, so try to follow along. I'll read the verses and then try to expand on them a little bit. So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, 57 to the end, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, talking about Jesus, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here we have three people come up to Jesus, two of which say, I want to follow you. One of them, Jesus says, follow me. To the one he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, that's fine. But just know you're going to be homeless. Where he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, listen, you follow me, you're going to lose your home. You're going to lose everything. You're out. Like this is extreme. Some of you are thinking, you know, I could probably be homeless. That might not be too bad, but we move on. He says to the next one, to another, Jesus said, follow me. But the guy says, Lord, let me go and bury my my father. He says, no, 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 you don't get to do that. Skip out on the funeral. You come follow me. It's not about what's in this world. You come and follow me. Then the next guy says, Jesus, I want to follow you. But let me first say farewell to those in my home. And he says, no, you leave your family. You walk away from your family and come follow me. See, what he's pointing to is the fact that all of them had something else they wanted to do besides follow him first. There's an extreme here. There's an extreme to what Christ calls us to when when he calls us to follow him. Following Jesus is not just this little band-aid that we get or a little ticket that we get to send us to heaven. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to follow him. Nothing else. If that means abandoning your family, it means abandoning your family. If that means being homeless, it means being homeless, but following Christ, because he is first and foremost, the most important thing. This isn't the only place he teaches it. Flip to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 26, 27, and 33. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's pretty extreme, right? I've read these gospels who knows how many times. And do you know that this is the first time that I've read those verses and went, Oh my goodness, am I following Christ the right way, or is this too easy for me? Am I making it too easy? Am I teaching it too easy? When I was in Minneapolis, I I heard a a pastor speaking, a church planner from India, Max Stiles, spoke. And he was talking, and he said, what do you think it means to be unashamed of the gospel? And I thought, well, you stand for Christ, right? I mean, you you stand up, you don't hide, you you don't shirk away in fear. And he said, what about the times when you have to sit down and you tell someone the gospel? And he told a story that he was sharing the gospel with this young man in India. And the young man looks at him and says, do you know that 
that if my father knew what I was doing right now, what I was about to do, he would kill me. And he literally meant kill him. And at that moment, Max said he had to figure out, like, am I ashamed of the gospel when, when I teach the gospel to someone and I could be leading them to their death? I could be leading this person to their physical death. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to share the gospel with someone knowing you could be leading them to their physical death? See, following Christ is not this easy game. It's not just walking around with a Christian t-shirt on. It's not just acting like a certain way and following a certain set of rules. No, Christ calls us to an extreme here. He calls us to look more like him than the world. He calls us to abandon the things of the world and follow after him. That's what Christ wants, is he wants to be number one in our lives. So we say that, and we say, oh yeah, Christ is number one. woo But do we really mean it when it comes down to it? Do we really mean Christ is number one? This is the question that's been wrecking me lately. Another one, Luke 18. Luke 18, 18 to 23. The rich young ruler. This is one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So here's a young man who says, What do I have to do to go to heaven? And he says, Follow the commandments. And he says, I've done all that. I think it's funny that Jesus doesn't go, You're such a liar. There's no way you followed all this. But instead he goes, Okay. Do one more thing. Go and sell everything you have. Go and sell everything you have, give it to someone else, and then come follow me. And he walks away sad. Why? He wasn't willing to give up everything. He wasn't willing to give up something to follow after Christ to inherit the kingdom of God. See, we have a a responsibility here to follow Christ in such a way that the world goes, they're different. And that's not just by following a certain set of rules. It's actually in our actions and the works that we do, the works that God has prepared for us beforehand. At the end of Matthew, Jesus tells us what, that, what those works are. He, he tells us, go and make disciples. That's for all Christians. This is the struggle we're having in my youth group and my church right now. We look at you high school kids, junior high students if you're in here too, and we go, we're real quick to say, you're a Christian. You accepted Christ, you were four years old, you're a Christian. And we're real slow to say, this is an extreme, this is an extreme level of Christianity. God did not just call you to live this safe, mundane, fun life. He called you to follow him at all costs. To make disciples at all costs. You may lose friends. You may lose relationships with the family. All of those things may come. But that's what Christ has called us to. He tells us what it's going to take to follow him. We need to be aware of that. 
We can't continue to walk around in this Western culture that says Christianity is this easy thing. We can't keep saying, Jesus is just this little thing I add in that's going to make my life better. Because I get to do everything that everyone else is doing, but then I get to end up in heaven. This is how this has affected me lately. I have five kids. And my oldest is is going to be ten this year. And it's terrifying me. She's a tween. And I don't know what that means. Because that didn't exist when I was a kid. But my daughter... I believe as a believer, she's professed Christ. I've seen change in her life. I've seen fruit. And God has given her a heart for other people. And specifically, God has given her a heart for Haiti. At 10 years old, my daughter prays for Haiti. She prays for the people of Haiti. She thinks about Haiti. She has a little jar on her counter that if she finds any change in the house, she goes and puts it in that jar so she can donate money to an orphanage in Haiti. She's 10. And I've been talking to her, and we've been talking about the fact that at some point we will be going to Haiti, her and I, hopefully in the next year. I would love to take her to Haiti sometime this year. And so here recently I was talking to a missionary friend of mine that goes to Haiti three to four times a year, and I was asking him what it was going to take. And then I got online and thought, okay, what do I got to do? You know, shots, all those kind of things. And, And so I ended up on this government website that had information for travelers to Haiti. And it said, here's all your cautions. There's, you know, like malaria, cholera, you know, so there's disease. There's robbery and theft of Americans. There's kidnapping, and it's typically girls. What do you think my first instinct was? I went, well, that trip's out. Not taking my daughter there. Can't can't subject her to even the possibility of danger. God really started working on me and going, wait a minute, this is one of my children. I put that heart in her. I'm the one that made her alive. I'm the one that created her. I'm the one that saved her and prepared works for her to do. And now you're going to block what I'm doing in her life? See, some people think that's extreme to to take my 10-year-old to a place that is dangerous. And there's things that I can put in place that are safe, but the reality is the dangers are still there. But if she's a Christian and God called her to Haiti, who am I to stop that? This trip that we're going to take, hopefully in the next year, maybe it'll take two years to get the right funds and everything. Maybe this will determine what she does with the rest of her life. I want you guys to ask the question, are you willing to follow Christ and give up everything? Because that's what he's called you to. Have you prayed and asked God, am I supposed to go to college or am I supposed to go to the mission field? Have you thought, you know, I'll go, I might go to the mission field. Maybe I'll go on a short-term missions. But, but first, I need to do this. I need to go to school. I need to go to college. See, that's what the culture says. But what if God is saying, no, no, no. No, you abandon that dream, and you can follow me. And maybe that means going to the jungles of Colombia. Maybe that means going to Africa, going to Iraq, or Afghanistan, Egypt, These places where it's illegal to be a Christian, where it's illegal to to proclaim the name of Christ to others. Is God doing a work in you right now to prepare you for that? And yet you're saying, okay, God, that's great, but first I got to do this. First I need to go away to school and get my degree because I got to have that. First I need to go play basketball. What if God's calling you to disciple someone in your school right now? 
There's no reason why, if you're a Christian right now, you should be discipling someone. It's what God called you to do. It is a work that God called you to do. Just because you're 15 does not mean you cannot make a disciple. You can disciple a friend. You can disciple a younger Christian, a younger student in the school, in your church. You can be making disciples. You have no excuse other than the culture around you and the culture around us, parents included, me included, have said, no, 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 you're not ready for that yet. And we let you guys just skate through life, through high school life as this easy Christianity. That is not what God called you to do. If God has called you and you are a believer, he's called you to make disciples. You are alive because of him. And out of gratitude, you should be serving him. We see this in the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples, we see this played out in their life after Christ, after the Bible. Of the 12 disciples, some of them were crucified, some of them were stoned to death, beheaded, speared, and some of them died of old age. Why should we think as Christians we should be any different than that? Some of us will die of old age, but some of us will be, could be stoned to death. It terrifies me that this message that I'm sharing that I see in the Bible, the same lesson that I teach to my kids, could kill my kids in the long run. It terrifies me that I could come and speak to you what the Bible says, and I could be sending you on a death march. But it's not me. It's God's word that calls us to this extreme. We see it in the examples of the disciples. We see it in the examples of other Christians throughout the world today. Persecution happens all over the world today. And yet we think, we're good. I wear my Christian t-shirt and I get teased a little bit. That's the persecution we get to face. And it may be. But is that because all we do is just wear a Christian t-shirt and don't live an extreme life for Christ? We need to be seeking God out. We need to be praying to God and asking, what would you have me to do? And if that means abandoning this, I will do that. And if that means using this, then I will use that. But we can't just keep going through life thinking, my life gets to be like everybody else's. I just have a little bit of Jesus, and that's it. I close with this quote. C.T. Studd was an English missionary to China, India, and Africa, and he said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Are you willing to take the name of Christ to within a yard of hell, to the places where Christ can be proclaimed, where you may be killed for Christ? Do you have that kind of devotion to Jesus Christ? Pray about that. In a couple of weeks, we have No Compromise Weekend. I'll be there. If God's working on you, I would love to hear about it. You'll recognize me. I'll still have my beard. It'll be gone like two weeks later, but at least then it'll be there. Come up to me. Tell me who you are and say, listen, you know, I read those verses that you were talking about, and this is what I think God's calling me to. I would love to hear about it, and I'd love to pray for you. So I encourage you, don't be shy. Come up, say hi. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for your son, ultimately, that he paid the price for us. Lord, we pray that out of our gratitude and love for you, Father, that we would commit and devote our lives to you and to you alone. 
not to the things of this world, Lord. That we would abandon these things of the world that are so nice and comfortable and that we would follow after you boldly. Lord, we pray your help, your grace in that. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to do that alone, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to accomplish the works that you have provided for us. I praise you for these students and ask, Lord, that you would be with them now as they go. Prepare them, Lord, for the works you have them to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Lige Reed from the Minden Evangelical Free Church. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Thank you.